0: you know, I was scared to start my own business. And then I was like, Oh my God, what a load of crap. You're young. You are healthy. You don't have a family yet. If you're too scared to move forward now, when are you not going to be? I just felt like I had to just man up because it's like never going to get easier.
1: Hi, this is Daphne Cohn, and welcome to Episode 17 of the Creativity Habit Podcast, conversations about art, creativity, and courage with artists, creatives, and makers. My guest today is a photographer who recently made the transition from full-time employee to full-time entrepreneur, and she photographs artists and makers. Her work has been featured in USA Today, Edible Aspen, Plow to Pantry, and more. She is Olivia Emmer, and you can find her over at oliveandwest.com. In this interview, we talk about making the switch from creativity as a hobby to a full-time gig, some of the biggest challenges when you're just starting out, charging for your work, knowing when to leap, and claiming your space as an artist. May you enjoy this conversation, and may it inspire you to make your thing and change your world. Hello, Olivia. Welcome to the Creativity Habit Podcast. It's great to have you. I'm so happy to be here. Thank you. So typically, with the Creativity Habit podcast interviews, we start with your story, your creativity story, and how it kind of, how creativity wove its way into your life as a little girl. Sure. My mom is an artist and a
0: writer, so creativity and art was Totally just woven into our everyday. Um, we moved around a lot, but my earliest memories are from when we lived in Brooklyn. Once a week, we would take the train into the city. We would go to the Met together and just sketch in a different part of the museum every week. And she was always taking me to like, weird avant-garde gallery openings that I, like, didn't understand. And, you know, she was a single parent and an artist, so where she went, I went. I loved it, and then I hated it, and then I loved it again.
1: Let's go into the first part, the first I love it, and then we'll go into the I hate it and I love it again. So you were pretty young to be going to museums and sketching and all that. Talk about what you talk about the love part.
0: Well, I just always felt like, oh, my mom is so young and beautiful and cool. The things that we encourage in children, I think we don't always practice as adults, you know, so we're always encouraging kids to draw and play with crayons and paint, but we don't necessarily make time for that as adults. But, you know, my mom was a painter, so that was something that she did. And I just thought, oh, we get to do that together. Like, that's so cool. My mom is so cool. You know, it was just always really exciting. And to be in New York, exploring and going to museums, it felt very vibrant. And I felt really privileged that my mom and I were pals.
1: And so at what point did it become something that you hated?
0: Mm, Like middle school, high school, just classic coming of age, wanting to separate yourself from your family and find some independence and have things that are just your own. You know, I I love science and I was really drawn to that quantitative world because it was so different from the creative world and the art world and I just like I wanted facts and I wanted numbers and things that were really clear and straightforward and not like my mom.
1: So interesting because the first part of your life was really uh, free-flowing and, and not rooted in the known and the certain and the facts. And then what is not so typical about your path is that when you went off, not physically went off, but when you went off in middle school and high school to find your own way, you embraced a world that was much more certain and rooted in the facts and the figures and what was solid. It's just fascinating.
0: Yeah, well, it felt really logical to me because the things that were full of adventure and wonder as a little kid, after a certain amount of time, they were also things that were difficult and unpredictable, and going in this other direction just felt like putting a little structure and control into
1: my life. When you went back to loving it again, I'm curious if as you moved back into your love affair with art, if you brought with it the stability, like what happened to the stability as you moved back into loving art?
0: Well... The sense of stability and the rejection of, you know, my mom's lifestyle that happened, those things are now not as tightly connected because I'm an adult and I do get to shape my own life. So for me now, that sort of structure and certainty isn't necessarily, you know, even connected in my mind to being creative and having a creative job. I think, you know, I went to college, and I just, I had that physical separation, and I got to kind of make my own way, and I didn't have to try so hard to be my own person. Just by virtue of the vast distance between us physically, I was able to do that, and that made me feel very free to be like, oh, I do love going to museums and coffee shops and strange gallery openings.
1: You really did for a brief period of time. You really did reject all of it, it sounds like, before you came back to it.
0: Oh yeah, I mean, I hated hiking, I didn't like cooking. Like everything that my mom liked, I was like, oh, that's not for me. Which looking back feels so immature, but also not that unusual for that time in a young woman's life.
1: I mean, if it of course it is to some degree immature because that's what we're doing, we're developing our maturity. and that's how we figure it out. I think especially in our culture, there's this period of time where we just need to separate in order to find ourselves. Sometimes I feel like I'm still going through that. I'm still trying to figure (laughs) out who I am and where I fit, but not so much in relation anymore to my mom or to my family. It's more in relation to my culture to the values that we have been taught from our society and just figuring all of that out, figuring out the place in that. But with you, you, so you went into, you went to college and you studied neuroscience, correct? Yes. So really stayed with the scientific, although as you said, you also began going, coming back to art and going to museums and coffee shops and and moving back into that world. What happened after that, that your world became so much, like now you're a photographer, your world is making, it is art. So what happened between college and where you are now?
0: Well, I spent almost 10 years living in Colorado, working for a nonprofit it was an environmental science education nonprofit, and I, I loved it. I had so much purpose and meaning, and I, I moved there to work for this organization. So my identity was like very wrapped up in that work that I was doing. And I have been making photographs since I was a little girl, and I did that all through college as well and worked for my college newspaper and In Colorado, I really embraced a total lifestyle that I'd never had before, where it's just having adventures in my free time. So I had this work that was really meaningful to me. And then in my free time, I was just in the mountains. And it was a very physical experience, not a terribly creative time in a direct way. And I was using my camera mostly to just document travels and my adventures, And I used it for my work at the nonprofit. I did marketing, PR, and event planning and just always needed images there. And after a certain amount of time, I just, I started feeling like my life was so, so physical and I was sort of feeling like a sense of loss about my creative life that I hadn't ever really acknowledged that I even had one. And maybe that's because I took it for granted growing up the way that I did. And I just sort of felt like, oh, you know, I don't have a creative practice anymore. You know, I had this like transition moment where I'd been in Colorado for a long time, doing the same job for a long time. And there was personal issues with my family going on that were very emotional. And I was just like, I need to do something different. I need a new outlet. I need to refocus the work that I'm doing and the way that I spend my time. And that's when I decided to bring my photography from just totally
1: personal
0: make it into my work.
1: I'm curious because you were taking pictures, like you were taking pictures for your work, for the marketing, the PR piece and and you were taking pictures to document your like personal travels and yet you say that you felt like you didn't have a creative practice at the time. Did you not see that as your creative practice?
0: You know, I really I really didn't. I think even now it's kind of hard for me to own that sense of creativity and art. I think part of that is I really just do take for granted some of the skills that I've developed over the years and That sense of aesthetic that i think my mom helped to lay the foundation for it just feels like this thing that i do i think for a long time being an artist didn't feel like a viable identity
1: you were starting to say which was it's interesting because you were talking about not really owning the gift basically your natural gifts around it and then it sounds like somehow for you that the fact that it's more natural that it is just what it is and that being an artist isn't necessarily a valued career in our society, that somehow with all of that taking pictures didn't feel like its own creative practice.
0: Yeah. You know, my mom's an artist and a painter, but never was able to, like, make a successful living just off of that. And so I think that watching that and watching her struggle and feel rejected kind of made me feel like, wow, oh, well, I don't want to do that. That's hard. And I think a big part of why I do feel more comfortable saying, oh, I'm a creative person again, is partially because I married someone who's very creative and went to art school, and he offers some good reflection. Sometimes when I have moments where I'm like, what am I doing? Am I, should I be doing this? Is this good work? He's there saying, "Like, yeah, this is the artistic process. Like, You're going to love and then hate and then love your work over and over and over again. You're an artist. You can be that. You can
1: accept that. It's amazing to me, because I I love your photos. I mean, that's how I got in touch with you was learning, was seeing your photography first and then meeting you. And I think it's incredible to me how much we have limited the world of artist and art because and creativity by the way that we define them. And that here you are, I look at what you do and I think, oh my gosh, I so wish I could take photos like you do. I so wish... I had that aesthetic sense, that I, the I that you have. And to me, it's there's so much creativity and art in what you do. And yet, this is such a typical story of the person who's creative, artistic, which is really every single person on the planet, that that we can't see that. And that we have made it something so much bigger than who we are and what we do because of that we'll often not even choose to pursue it because we think it's too much we're we're not good enough we're not whatever so you're obviously in the tr- making that transition you know you've moved from being someone who takes photographs in your you know spare time on your own to turning it into a career a business how are you managing apart from talking with your husband How do you manage those voices that say, who are you to be doing this? You're not really an artist. You're not really creative. And all those other things that we hear all the time.
0: Every day is different. And some days I make work and I'm like, ah, man, today really clicked. Everything is perfect and amazing and I'm so happy. And some days I feel lonely, you know, running a business yourself, where you have no other people that work with you, that can be very lonely. I really, I feel so lucky to be here in Asheville because there's so many other creative entrepreneurs, people who are taking their passions and trying to make them their full-time work. I feel there's a huge sense of camaraderie, not just with other local photographers, although I certainly feel that, but even just with other craftspeople, people who are artists who are also selling their art. And so combating that sense of loneliness by connecting with other creative people is a huge component of it. And then also, I think just time and experience, the more shoots that I do, and the more feedback that I get from clients, you know, the more confident I get. And I think that sense of being an imposter, you know, maybe that never goes away. But I think that it fades as you get more and more work under your belt.
1: And this is one of the reasons why, honestly, I feel like these conversations are so important is so we hear each one of us that the struggle is everyone's struggle. Every single artist has the same struggle. It might look a little bit different, but at its foundation, it's it's rooted in the same doubts, the same fears, the same insecurities. And it's just important to see that that's all part of the process. Just like your husband said, there's, you're going to love it. You're going to hate it. You're going to love it again. That's part of the process. And so is this, this is all part of it. You mentioned with your mom that you saw her, she's a painter, writer, and you saw her struggle and, and the piece about money. And I would like to talk a little bit about money because it's something we don't usually talk about. And I'm curious, having seen that as a young girl growing up, how money plays into all of this for you what are your thoughts around making art and making money from your art
0: well i have sort of two main ideas about that the first one kind of about my mom her struggles felt less based in making a living and more just this sense of rejection not being recognized or getting enough external positive feedback about her work to feel confident and keep moving forward. She was mostly a painter when I was young, and then she was a writer for my middle school, high school, and college years. And she felt like a writer, but until she gets published, she can't own it. Yeah, it's that same struggle that everyone's having. But It felt less connected to money and more just this sense of identity and the sense of acceptance. And then as far as making money off of art, I agonize over this on the daily because I love making photographs. Sometimes I'm like, oh man, I just want to photograph this person and it's fun for me. How can I ask them to also pay me to do this thing that I love? And that's been a challenge for me. I also think photography is very subjective and there's so many different kinds of photography and what people charge varies wildly based on their skill, their experience, where they live, what kind of gear they're using, what's their market. Are they regional only or are they national? Are they a wedding photographer or are they working with small businesses? I mean, there's so many variables that I feel like Every time I get an inquiry, I feel like I'm starting from scratch, trying to figure out where to be in all of those variables. That's an information-gathering process, quoting people, seeing what people are willing to pay. If other photographers are open about talking about their pricing, getting some context that way. But yeah, it's a challenge because when you love doing something and it feels pleasurable, and then to get someone to also pay you. I find that to be a really confusing relationship.
1: And it's interesting, isn't it, that that relationship would be confusing, like that to do something that you love somehow, it feels like, wait, I can't, I shouldn't make money from that, or?
0: Well, the thing that really brought it home for me is I have no problem asking for the right level of compensation for work that I don't really want to do. And it's the clients and the work that I really am drawn to, that I really want to do that I have the hardest time pricing where I think it ought to be because like I just want it. And I I'm learning and I think I'm still at an early enough part of my business evolution where I'm still figuring it out, but I also want to be respectful to the other members of my community and not undermine the local community.
1: I'd like to ask you, Olivia, some questions actually about being in the early stages of your business, because a lot of people that I interview are not in the early stages. They're pretty well established. And I think it's easy when you're that far along to forget about this part, this piece of the journey. So with that in mind, what would you say are some of the biggest challenges that you're facing right now or have faced recently and what you're doing to work through them?
0: Mm. At a very operational level, just the pricing is the hardest thing for me. And part of that's because that's a relatively private part of how other businesses operate. You know, you're a little bit in the dark trying to figure that out. At at least I feel a little bit in the dark. But I I think, honestly, the hardest part for me is just, it feels like a huge shift in identity and lifestyle. I was living in Colorado, working a nine-to-five marketing job for a nonprofit, and then I moved to North Carolina, and I started a photography business. I feel like when you work for a nonprofit, your purpose and meaning is so clear and now the work that I do with makers feels very soulful to me and is so inspiring and wonderful. But I still have moments where I, I wake up in the morning and like maybe I read the news and I hear about something disappointing in our culture. And I just think, is what I'm doing enough? Is there something else that I should be doing that means more? I think that that's a reflection of this constant state of questioning that I have as a person. I've always had a lot of questions about about that. But yeah, I think that's the hardest part as I've transitioned, building this new identity for myself.
1: I want to go into that a little bit, and then I want to touch on a few other things that you just talked about, because this is very fascinating to me. I noticed that when I was working where I'm getting paid by the hour by somebody else, I, same thing, I'm not sitting there saying, hmm, is what I'm doing making a big enough difference? It's like, this is my job, I'm getting paid, that's what I do. And then when I'm working for myself, that question is there all the time. I actually just had this conversation with my husband yesterday, like, is this big enough? Is this enough? And I think that to me is so interesting that when we're working for someone else, for whatever reason and i know in your case olivia you are working for an environmental agency so you're doing things in the world that you really felt were making a difference and they were they are they are making a difference and there is still something about when we're working for someone else somehow those questions just seem to not be as prominent as when we're making that decision ourselves do you have any thoughts on that
0: i mean i think that the fact that it was a nonprofit it was a huge part of that. But also, I worked as part of a team. I had moments in my, my previous career where I was like, what am I doing? Is this day-to-day making a difference? But then you've got people to turn to. A good friend of mine sat at a desk right behind me. You know, you could just turn and say, is this important? And they could say, it is really important, even if it doesn't feel important today. That Again, that sense of camaraderie and having someone to reflect back at you and to brainstorm with you, that was really of comfort to me. Um, And I think that's a big part of what feels unmooring about running a business by yourself. Sometimes you have questions and there's just no one else in the room.
1: Yeah, that's true. So the other piece, one other piece that you mentioned a few minutes ago was about your work with the makers, and I want to get into that now to talk about what is that? What is your work with Makers?
0: When I first started my business, I just made a website and it had a little bit of everything and I just took any job that came my way because I had to and I wanted to. And as time has gone on, I've really found that the work that has been the most rewarding and enjoyable for me has been when I've connected with other creative Business people in the community. So that's really what I'm focusing my business on is working with people who make and grow things. And I think that's because photography is a skill, but it's also an activity. And I feel like when I go photograph with a furniture maker, there's like a back and forth that's happening the whole time where the furniture makers explaining their process and, and I'm photographing them as they work and I'm asking questions. and I just leave those sessions knowing more than I knew before about something I wouldn't have had the opportunity to learn about so quickly. Feeding that curiosity and having those opportunities for learning and collaborating, that just is really what makes me so happy when I'm doing my work.
1: And I know with your work that one of the aspects of it is you really dive into the world of the maker and tell the story of the maker. Why that's important to you, the story of their work and not just a shoot where it's like, here's the bowl that they made or here's the table.
0: Yeah. I love beautiful things and, and I love things that are handmade and that are locally made those things tend to be more expensive than if you buy a bowl at target it's gonna probably cost less than if you buy a bowl from your local potter but like i want to support the local potter and i want other people to also part of what people hire me for is to show their story and their process because when people are paying extra for something, like, that's why. People aren't just paying extra for a bowl for no reason. They're paying extra because they know we're connected with the story of the artist, or they want to be able to tell their friends something about the process of how that piece was made. It's that sense of connection and bringing that into the objects and connecting stories and pieces and people altogether.
1: And it, it seems that as the world gets increasingly more bigger and faster and increasingly more digital, we long more and more for that connection, for that sense of, of knowing the story, of knowing where something's from, of knowing who made it. Yeah, I, I certainly do. I'm wondering around the other part of this, like, it, am I doing enough? Am I making a difference? What are some ways that you have found to come to peace with these questions, and how, are, how do you feel that your art is doing that?
0: I think that working with makers does feel meaningful to me because I, I believe in what they're putting out into the world. But I don't know, around Thanksgiving of last year, I was looking at this photograph of uh, my mom and me and I'm probably one it's a beautiful black and white print that's framed and it's it's on my mantle right now I'm looking at it right now. It's one of only a handful of photos of both my mom and I there's lots of pictures of me as a little kid that my mom took but there's not a lot of pictures of the two of us together and um, that's because you know she's a single parent there's you know not someone else there to witness and to capture those moments. I was feeling a little like bereft of meaning at that point. And so I just decided to start doing this single parent photo series. I try and shoot two a month. They're free and they're for single parents in my community only. You know, it's a lot of work, but it feels really full of joy. I think that single parents' sometimes have fewer resources. So a lot of the people I'm photographing wouldn't spend the money to hire a photographer. And I think also there's some cultural bias. There's the Nielsen family. It's like a mom and a dad and two and a half kids or something. Just like helping other little families feel pride and witnessing their love and their bond. I feel a really intense bond with my mom, for better and for worse. That's really... Because the single parent situation, that's been a key way for me to sort of feel like I'm doing more and giving something out.
1: It's a beautiful thing. It's really amazing. One of the, and you said it when you were describing it, Olivia, you said that we're single parents in your community only. So that's, it sounds like that's really important to you that these people be in your community
0: think because I am one of many transplants to Asheville, the onus is on me to be a contributing member of this new community for me. I don't know, maybe that's coming from a nonprofit background. I just feel like that's part of my culture is to participate and put myself out there. I mean, I hesitate to say this because I don't apply this to other people. But for me, if I wasn't doing anything for my local community, that would feel wrong. I'm benefiting from living here and also have people here benefit from my being here, even if it's in a really small way. I mean, two families a month is, that's not a lot of people, but it's really important to
1: those people. That's right. That's right. And it is a lot. It is a lot in the sense that you could choose not to do it at all. And that's 24 families a year. And that would be 24 families that would not have those photographs. So it, it does make a difference. It is it is a big deal. I'm curious, both for yourself and for people listening. So photography as an example, it's a great example of a pretty competitive field. There's a lot of photographers out there. And now with iPhones and things, a lot of us think we can be photographers because we carry a camera around in our pocket or bag or whatever. How have you differentiated yourself? How have you found your own creative voice within this competitive field? Hmm. I make
0: my best work when I'm in situations where I'm feeling curious and inspired and learning. So specializing my business to try and increase the number of situations like that is part of it. People want that, you know, when they're looking to invest in their business, they like seeing, oh, this is what she does. And most of my business has come from people that I've met in person and then referrals. And I think that's pretty common for photographers. Like I know that from like a business model perspective, you need to get your work out in front of more people than you can meet physically yourself. But gosh, I just love that. I'm not great at small talk. I'm like the girl at the party who asks really personal questions. I just wanna connect with people and get through some of that fluff pretty quickly. Like I said, I'm just, I'm really curious. Yeah, when I get to meet someone in person and connect with them, and then collaborate with them, that whole uh, evolution of collaboration is fun and fascinating to me.
1: Yeah, it's interesting that you say that about being the girl at the party who goes in for the deep questions quickly. You can see that in your photography because there is an intimacy with the uh, what's the, the with the subject that you create, it's like, I, I think that's one of the things that really drew me to your photos, and I've talked to you about this a little bit, but part of what I love with your with your photos is that you tell a story, like a, a story that I, I just wanna fall into, I wanna know more about, I want to be told this story, and then I love the color palette, but it's also, there is that intimacy that you create, between you and the subject and I think that is part of your personality of wanting to go right into the deeper part of life
0: Mm, well I love hearing that I'm just like blushing
1: (laughs) (laughs) yeah yeah and I think that's another testament to how when we make whatever it is that we make the more of ourselves that we let into the art the more of our personality the more of who we are the more it just naturally becomes its own thing, regardless of how competitive the field may be, because that's the only thing that you can bring to your art that is uniquely you, is yourself. And so it's just another way of saying how important it is that we bring ourselves to our work. And actually along that, I have a question around the Journey of unearthing, of discovering your creative voice with photography. Was that something that seemed to come naturally or was it something that you had to look for?
0: It comes naturally. I got my first camera when I was five and I've been using a camera consistently since then. That's not something I've thought about a lot, but thinking about it as we're talking and I think maybe that's. That's why it's been hard for me to own some of this artist creativity identity because it, you know, those foundations were laid so early that it feels very second nature. And sometimes it feels easy. Like running your own business is not easy, but like sometimes making images feels really easy and natural. And I think it's just because I've been doing it a long time and I really take that for granted and I take that sense of aesthetic for granted for sure
1: okay so with that piece about running a business isn't easy but making your art is and then the the other piece is challenging what would you say to somebody who is in a position where they're working in their in their job but they have this feeling that there's more and they have something that they know is their thing what what advice or just in, from your personal story would you offer them?
0: Yeah, I have like two answers to that. And the first one is very practical. I had a 9 to 5 salaried job for almost 10 years. I knew that I was going to make a transition before I left that job. That provided me a really safe environment in which to make some Investments in my business while I still had very regular income. Starting a business with savings from having worked for a long time, like that really made it feel possible because it's scary to go out on your own and to accept that uncertainty. If you have the good fortune to be able to plan ahead in that way, I think that that really makes life easier. And then the other part is, you know, I was scared. To start my own business. And then I was like, oh my God, what a load of crap. You're young, you are healthy, you don't have a family yet. If you're too scared to move forward now, when are you not going to be? I just felt like I had to just man up because it's just like never going to get easier.
1: That's right. And that's great. It's actually, it reminds me, I was talking with somebody whose daughter is, I think, 27. And she's in a job where she's making really good money and she's really unhappy. And uh, another adult was giving her this advice of where to go to get another, to move to a city where they're hiring a good job, the same thing, follow the same path essentially of you want to be making a good income. That's what's important. and, And then you'll figure the rest out. And I thought to myself, this is insane because she's 27. Like if not just what you're saying, if not now, when, if you're miserable now doing the quote unquote right thing, then when are you going to feel that the time is right for you to try something different and see what really does make you happy? So I think that's great. Those two pieces, just it's, you know save while you're working so that you can make the leap with some savings if that's possible because it definitely helps to take the pressure off of the creativity and just to maintain your own sense of sanity and then to look at where you're at in your life I mean, I personally think anytime you can go for it, and especially if you're don't have a family and you don't have those responsibilities and You're just figuring things out, then it's a great time to say, Well, sure, what the hell? (laughs) Why not try it?
0: Yeah. And like, I just want to acknowledge because I feel like it would be wrong not to, but I have a lot of privilege. I'm a white person from a middle class family. I didn't have to pay for college. You know, my family paid for college. And so I really felt my fear was kind of unfounded. And there are a lot of people who go for it who go for it with like a lot less backup and who are really courageous. So I just felt like from my position of privilege, if I was too scared, that was on me.
1: That's a really good point. Uh, and I think it's also just a good point of noticing, okay, where is this just a story that I'm making up? And where is where are there valid concerns that I need to pay attention to? With that, anything, I have a few more questions at the end but anything that I haven't asked you or that we haven't dove into that you would like to.
0: Mm. Oh gosh. I don't know. I guess I'm sort of curious, you know, I've listened to a few of the podcasts and I'm curious, like what is your thread and narrative that you're hoping to illustrate through this project?
1: Yeah, this is a great question. It's actually something that I think about a lot and was just thinking about yesterday. So when I began, it was wanting to show how everybody is an artist and everyone is creative and to just explore the creative process and to explore this path of creativity and art and and the courage that's required to walk this path, mostly as a way of inspiring other people who may or may not be making their thing to go forth and and make their thing, to find that place of, of courage within themselves to do that. So that was the first motivation, and it's just recently started to shift. So that's why I say it's interesting that you ask that now, because while that's still really important, the place it's shifting to is, I feel like more than... I mean, it seems absurd to say more than ever. I don't know. I'm only alive now. So I I don't know what it was like before, but it feels like we're in a time where creativity is essential, not just to our survival, but to a planet that is actually supporting all of its inhabitants to truly thrive. And that we can use our art, we can use our creativity, and I use those terms very loosely. I say this a lot, but I use those terms very loosely because I don't want us to get caught up in this idea of an art world and a specific idea of an artist, And but that to, we can use those, our creativity, our art, to change things in the world, to innovate, to disrupt, to inspire, that our art has that power and each one of us, because each one of us is an artist, has that power within ourselves. So that's really the direction I'm moving in and what feels most important to me right now. I appreciate you asking that question, especially since it's so up for me.
0: Mm, I love hearing that.
1: Yeah, so thanks for giving me the chance to articulate that and, and share that on this in this way. So before I ask my last couple questions, I want to first say the best way, of course, to experience a photographer's work is by seeing the photos. (laughs) You can't really experience it unless you see the photographs. And if you go to Olivia's website, which is Olive and West, actually I'm going to ask you about that name in a minute, but oliveandwest.com, you can see a lot of her photographs and Also, Olivia, you have a pretty active Instagram feed. What is your uh, Instagram name?
0: It's at Olive and West.
1: At Olive and West. I really, really encourage you to check out her photos, her photographs, whatever the best word is, but to check them out, because they're just beautiful, really beautiful. And where did Olive and West come from?
0: Olive is me, it's my nickname. And West is my Volkswagen Vanagon West Falia. It's a camper van. And it's, I think of it as like a mobile studio. It's got a little battery pack and solar panels on it. And my first ever gig that I got, I drove out to the gig in my van and did all of my post-processing on my computer in the van off the solar panels. And I don't know, the van I had dreamed about was like my dream car for a while. And then I was like, I'm just gonna do it. So I think the van, I feel like it represents my most courageous, adventurous version of myself. It's like my craft for adventure.
1: Well, that makes sense. It doesn't sound silly to me because your van represents the freedom to just hit the road and explore and go off on adventures and and meet people and take photos and i mean that is it's all that you're doing and it and it is represented it can be represented by your van
0: yeah well thank you (laughs)
1: yeah yeah that makes a lot of sense to me so oliveandwest.com and at this point is i like to express some gratitude and then i'll ask you the last question and one of the things i'm really struck by is your commitment to asking the questions that spur you on to showing up in the world in the way that you want to show up in the way that you feel is the most powerful and the most courageous, making the biggest difference. So staying with the discomfort, the challenge that we sometimes find when we're sitting inside of the questions instead of just having the answers your willingness to stay there and to keep asking those questions and and you do that not just in your personal life with your own desire to grow and to make a difference but then it shows up it's how you make beautiful photographs it's the questions that you ask of the people that you're photographing it's the way that you want to tell their story, it's wanting to, it's the curiosity you have, it's the fact that when I asked you if you had any more questions, you had a question for me. And just that engagement with life keeps it, it it keeps it alive and it keeps, it's part of, I think a big part of what makes your photography so beautiful. And the other piece that's related to that is this commitment to making a difference, this commitment to Am I doing enough? Those kind of questions that plague you are great questions to be plagued by because they keep spurring you on to say, okay, what can I do now? What can I do now? I'm going to take pictures of single parents. I'm going to contribute in this way. I'm going to document the stories of the makers. All of that, those types of questions, the fact that you keep asking them and the fact that you keep using the answers to do that in your with your work in the world is really a beautiful thing. So thank you, Olivia. Thank you. Yeah. The last question is, with everyone being an artist and everyone being creative, why is it important that each person make their thing?
0: I think that as human beings, we like have a desire to make things. And I think that shows up for people in really different ways. For some people, they're like, having family, making children. That's one way that I think that gets manifested. And I think there's a long history of human beings wanting to like leave their mark. And I think also making things, photographs or paintings or bread or dinner can all have really meditative qualities that I think we need as people to get through our day. I don't know, I think when you make something it just changes the way that you interact with the world and the way that your mind functions.
1: Yeah, I think so too. Thank you so much, Olivia. Thank you for your time and and thank you for your work and thanks for being part of this.
0: My pleasure. I did have one. I'm so honored by how complimentary you are about my way of thinking about things, but I just want to acknowledge, like I think that I'm always asking myself, Am I doing enough? Because, like, I think I'm I'm not. And I think that, you know, like, enough is a moving target. But I'm I'm really curious, you know, like, in 10 years, what will enough look like for me? I feel, like, 100% confident I'm not doing enough yet. And I'm really excited and curious how I'll improve on what my life looks like and my contributions are.
1: Yeah, that's great. I love the excitement around and the curiosity about what that will look like. And I'll say that there was one time when I was talking with a friend and I was saying how I didn't feel like I was a good enough parent, a good enough mom. And he said to me, well, what does good enough look like? And I realized in that moment I did not have a definition for good enough. So there was no way that I would ever be good enough because there was no picture of what that looked like. And once I started to really investigate that question, what does good enough look like? It while, like you're saying, you have a certainty that it's not enough right now, me creating an image of what a good enough mom looked like helped me appreciate the kind of mom I already was and mm-hmm. and find more peace around around the mom that I am. And so it just was really valuable to think, well, what is enough? What does that even look like? And begin to hold that and play with that. Well, thanks, Olivia. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the Creativity Habit Podcast. If you want to get a creativity starter pack for free with a creativity journal, as well as tools and checklists for getting started and staying focused with your creative project, head on over to thecreativityhabit.com forward slash starter pack. You can also find me on Instagram as thecreativityhabit. Coming up next week is artist Ashley Longshore on how to be uber successful in the art world and make your creative dreams happen. And if you like this interview, please leave a review on iTunes. Every review really helps this podcast get out more into the world, reach more artists, creatives, and makers like you, and inspire them to make their thing and change their world.